It's the final whistle on your home for Sporting Kansas City. We interrupt this program for an important news announcement. Hello and welcome once again to the final whistle postgame show, Sporting QC Classic Edition. Actually, it's uh, again a Kansas City Wizards Classic. Is uh, one of the biggest games in franchise history. Is it fair to say that about an international friendly? I, I think this <laughs> is, though, is the 18-time Premier League champions at the time, Manchester United, stroll into Arrowhead Stadium and go down to the Kansas City Wizards 2-1 to one in front of 52,424 fans. Um, you know, guys, I look back at this game, and this was one of those that was really the start of that snowball rolling downhill for the Wizards and then Sporting KC that really took this team from being kind of an afterthought in a way on the Kansas City sports scene to being a major player. Yeah, I mean, I'll just start with the crowd itself. I mean, you mentioned such a large number, over 50,000 fans in attendance, most of them wearing red, most of them. Very much most of them wearing red, yeah. Not, and yeah, the seats at Arrowhead at the time, or, you know, it's not an ideal place when your colors are not red to be playing because all of the seats are red. But regardless of that, a lot of fans were there to support Manchester United, not even the local team. So the fact that KC could not only, you know, go into that game and hold their own, but come out victorious is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And, and Dave, to your point about like, did it feel like it was the beginning of the snowball? I, I, I had completely forgotten that this team, the Wizards in 2010 were so far below the playoff line. They mentioned it early in the broadcast. They're like four, eight and four. And then, then there's the, uh, the, the interview with Davey Arno, the captain. And he's just like, you know, things aren't going the way we want them to in the league right now. But it's like, Oh, you're right. This team wasn't very good at that point in the 2010 season and then did miss the playoffs in 2010. And then and we we forget that, you know? Yeah, and we talked with Davey Arno actually on the sporting show this week about that a little bit and just how, you know, that game really was, like you said, that momentum builder. But what he mentioned, which I found interesting just because I didn't think about this part of it either. That was Peter Vermees's first full year as manager of this team. Yeah. The year before he had been an, uh, appointed the interim head coach. And before that, he was just the technical director. And so now this is his first full season, the first time implementing that Peter Vermees system. And so there were definitely some kinks that needed to be worked out. Um, <laughs> and also you look at, I mean, this was just a cool part for me looking at the lineup, Roger Espinoza, just a couple of years into his career uh, with wizards. And then you look at, um, Beasler and Zussi as well. So just kind of seeing those names and how how much of the journey they've been along for the ride for as well. Well, and it's funny too, looking at the Manchester United lineup specifically. I mean, obviously no Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney was, I think, partying in Vegas for this game. Um, but no Wayne Rooney. Uh, but they're also coming off the World Cup. So, you know, it was a 2010 World Cup year. But you've got Paul Scholes. You've got uh, Ryan Giggs starting this game. And then the youngsters. I mean, ben Amos was a young goalkeeper at the time. Ben Amos has had played, you know, a hundred games in 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 more than that in the Premier League and and league in the Championship. Chris Smalling and Raphael have both have massive careers. They were both like twenty year old kids at the time, and and those guys have all played hundreds of games at, you know, I mean, Chris Smalling's I think at Roma now. Raphael's at Leon, but they've been but they've been in like they've played hundreds of games in the Premier League. You've got. Um, uh, Berbatov, Danny Welbeck coming in late in the game. I mean, it's it's so funny. Nani, Nani, Orlando City legend. I think can we call him that yet? Orlando City legend, Nani. Um, but it's really funny to like look at that that lineup and go, oh man, this team was loaded with dudes who went on to play a lot of big time professional soccer. And one of my favorite stories, getting to you know just kind of talk about that star power uh, that the team did have at the time, and then to see where they've you know what they've achieved since that game. But Davey also told us a funny story uh, in the days leading up to the game. It was a day or two before they have the press conference, and his wife and sister and family members join him, and they're there. And his wife, big soccer fan, sees Sir Alexander and is like, "We have to go get a we have to go get a photo with him." <laughs> And so she like runs up and I guess Davey heard the story secondhand. He wasn't with them, but goes up and it's like, Hey, can we get a picture? And he turns around and he's like, no, no. And then like kept walking and then turned back around. is like, of course you can get a picture. Oh yeah. He was a, he was a character. So that was just really funny to kind of hear like, you know, about 
you know, even for the players, for the Wizards at the time, like this was a huge deal to like not just them playing against these guys, but to their family members as well. They're watching a team that they, you know, some of them might cheer for on, you know, on the weekends. It was funny. Chad, that Chad, do you remember the um, what happened at the training facility with Sir yeah. Alex and the whole open practice thing? I mean, I remember the open practice. I don't remember what was the what happened. Remember, it was supposed to be like oh. a certain, maybe it was 200 fans yeah. or whatever were coming out to watch Man U practice out at Swope Park, and it was like pouring rain. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. So they moved everyone inside, and like the fans were lined up kind of in the weight room and out the front door, and the team was just settled there in the players' lounge. But then Sir Alex was just sitting at one of the two old-school computers, yeah. like right when the fans walked in. And he literally just sat there and talked to every single fan. Yeah. He was so low key and so laid back. I mean, he's got to be the most nice, humble, big time coach I've ever seen. He was great that whole week. I just, I, I remember him being so just completely chill. And granted, it was preseason, but, and, and it was late in his career. Was it his last season? I'd have to look that up. It was very close to his last season. So, I mean, he, he, you he can... um he retired i actually have it pulled up now uh in 2013 so okay. it was yeah pretty close so to the end of his career he, he knew that kind of he was on the the wind down and I, you 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 could you got the sense that he was just completely comfortable in everything that he did and dave i, I had forgotten about that story i just remember like i remember everybody being so jam-packed into swope that night because it, it was before we expanded swope too so it was like this tiny little facility and and there's hundreds of people there and uh and i think we lost all control of like who actually had been uh, qualified to be there or won the, won the lottery or whatever because of that. There was no way to track it anymore. It was just like, um, no, that, that I will, that was my first experience. I think I would describe as like big time professional sports and I'm not to, not to downplay anything we did as the wizards prior to that, but it felt different. It felt bigger. It felt, you know, I mean, Manchester United came in on a charter flight they landed at a different part of the airport than I'd ever been to. We met them with a motorcade and drove them to, you know, uh, drove them to the training or drove them to the Intercontinental Hotel, which they had almost completely booked out. And and it was this, it was just I've never been part of a motorcade before. First, uh, and actually never nev- never since. So you know, one for one on motorcades was Manchester United, and uh, and then you had to have like. It was one of those things you had to have like special credentials every step of the way. Dave, do you remember that? It was like mm-hmm. there was a credential that got you into the hotel. Then there was a credential that got you onto this floor of the hotel. Then there was a credential that got you into the interview room. And it was the it was the funniest thing. Meanwhile, Ali, speaking to kind of like Davy's Davy's story about his wife meeting Alex Ferguson, he was the nicest dude. He didn't give a crap about any of it. He just wanted to he 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 signed autographs, he shook hands. Um he, I will never forget though. One of my favorite memories of all time is in that hotel the day of the the uh, the the arri- they arrived. Like we just get in and everybody's going through credentialing process, and Alex Ferguson just walks into the bar area and sits down and starts having tea. And then they're like, "Hey, nobody else goes in the tea room. Nobody's allowed in the tea room." Dave, do you remember? Do you know where I'm going with this? Do you remember this story? No, I don't remember. This, okay, no. so nobody's allowed in the tea room, and we're like, "Well." Okay, that's cool. I mean, he was just, you know, signing autographs, shaking hands with, like, the hotel staff. Um, We're all downstairs setting up for the uh, the press conference. I come back upstairs, and I look into the tea room where there are, like, you know, big, burly security dudes. And Alex Ferguson is sitting at a table talking to Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney was in town playing at the Sprint Center. And it's like, oh, that's Sir Alex Ferguson talking to Sir Paul McCartney in the middle of, you know, the Intercontinental Lobby in Kansas City. And it was one of those just moments of like mind explosion. Just is this is this a real moment? I'm 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 20 feet away, 15 feet away from maybe the greatest football manager who ever lived and a beetle. It was it was just a cool moment. And they they were buddies. They like knew each other. And I guess they'd been texting about being in town to, at the same time and wanted to wanted to meet up. It was really cool. Is that the most famous interaction that you've ever witnessed? Oh, without a doubt. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it's Paul McCartney. Like almost it, like yeah. any interaction that has Paul McCartney in it. Um, actually, there's a side story to that. Um, Brandon Rush, former KU basketball player, was was in town. I think he was with the Warriors at the time. It was early in his NBA career, and he was in town and he was staying at the Intercontinental. And I knew Brandon in college because I grew up with with uh, with Jeff Hawkins and 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 knew those dudes a little bit. Not like well, but knew them enough that he saw me in, in the intercontinental that day and he walks up to me and he was like, 
historic. It was like, hey, you're Jayhawks boy or something like that. I don't remember the details, but I, he he clearly didn't remember my name, but he remembered my face or something like that. And it's only a couple of years after college. And he said something to the effect of like, what is going on? Why are all these people here? Why is the security so crazy? And I just was like, yeah, man, uh, Manchester United's here. And, uh, you know, and I, and we started talking. Oh, that's when you say, when you say it's for you. Yeah, right, like, right. No, no. So we started talking about it. And, and it was, and this is this is all in the course of like a two minute long conversation, maybe. But it was just like, yeah, it's really weird because I know you, you know, you walk around in NBA locker rooms all day. Where, like, you're you're a professional athlete. You're probably the 30th highest paid dude in this building right now. Like, you know, there's all these athletes and it was it was just a really like in terms of like professional or like uh to your point of like celebrity interactions, I literally said to to Brandon Rush, I go, "Yeah, because there's two knights, like two actual British knights having tea, you know, right up right over there." And then uh was it Sir Bobby Robson? There was another assistant coach who's also a knight. And it's just like yeah, you just don't see that on a daily basis. So in terms of kind of amazing, ridiculous celebrity interactions in my life, yeah, that was that one will be hard to top. So, well, Chad, we were both working for the team at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team had not nearly reached the top of the mountain as they've done now <laughs> as Sporting KC. I mean, at that point, there were games where they had trouble filling Community America Ballpark, you know, yep. which wasn't a huge venue. And obviously the team didn't have near the following it did now. Uh, so going into that game, it seemed like, oh, great. They're playing Man United. What's this going to be like, a 5-1 loss or something like that? I mean, did you think there was any chance in the world this team won the game? And if I would have told you beforehand that the Wizards played the whole second half down a man, what would you have thought? <laughs> so so first off, not a chance in hell to, to like actually answer the question. Um, they were – if you remember, we were game three or four or five on this trip. It was a weird trip. They game came three, in. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, oh, yeah, they talk about it on the broadcast. Uh, um, they played – I'm looking it up right now to get it right. I, want, I don't want to screw this up. They played – oh, they played Celtic in, in – uh, where did they play Celtic? It's hard to tell where they played. Um, they played Celtic and beat them 3-1. So already they're off to beating a really good team. Uh, they beat the Philly Union 1-0 in a pretty bad game. And then they lose to us 2-1. And then four days later, three days later, they pound the MLS yes. All-Stars. Like 5-2. to two. And and yeah. it wasn't even... And Ali, it wasn't even close. Like, they were so much better than the All-Stars. It was... It, they they took out the frustration of losing to the Wizards yeah. on the All-Stars. Oh, they man. They were pissed they lost. Yeah. yeah. And then they played... Uh, they, they also ended up playing, like, Chivas Guadalajara in that trip as well. So, it was like... It, it was... We were the minnow. We were absolutely the minnow of that Say, trip. Like, when you look at that lineup, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the game that you circle on the calendar and be and are like, okay, like, that's the game that we might win. Yeah. Or we we'll probably win. It, but it's it, interesting, too, just, like, how nervous these guys were going to that game for Kansas City, like talking to Davey about it. I mean, Peter Vermees is at like the earliest stage of his mm-hmm. coaching career. I mean, he is, I mean, up against Sir Alex, and this is one of his first games coaching a new team that he's been around for. He he played with the wither with the Wizards and he'd been a part of the coaching system for a couple of years. But this was like, this is his time now. It's his mm-hmm. team. It's crazy. Like this was the ultimate nothing to lose game. I mean, yeah, no one gave the Wizards a chance. And like we've said earlier, they're playing against this team they've idolized, so they're going to give it their MLS Cup effort, like 110 percent. Right. And uh, there was no. I mean, not that there was pressure on Man United, but there was no pressure on the Wizards. I mean, they just went in there and tried to play the game of their life against these idols. And you know, we can get into the specifics, but they played really well. It, it's it's like surprisingly good soccer at times, and then it's surprisingly bad soccer at times. Like I mean, it's there are moments where like this is definitely a friendly, and then there are moments where they're both both teams are taking it seriously. They're pinging the ball around. They're doing, you know, the the first Wizards goal is is classy, and it's a really good sequence. It's really poor defense, but it's a really good sequence. I loved that goal for a lot of reasons. Number one, the lead up to it, the little quick one, two uh, to set up the through ball. And that's a really hard shot to take. It looks easy because you are essentially one-on-one with the goalkeeper, but the angle that Davey was at with that shot is a really tough one to make. And the fact that he just like barely sneaks in into the corner and is able to get the angle perfectly right on that shot. I mean, that was like a classic finish in every part of that goal, aside from, 
the really poor defending was absolutely fantastic. Like I loved that that was how the game opened up for Kansas City and honestly probably gave them a lot of the momentum that they needed just so early on with the goal happening in the 10th minute. Yeah, it was uh it was it, you couldn't have been happier for Davey. You couldn't have been happier for the team and the way that they were playing. I mean, it was Peter Peter often talks about um prior to that when Kurt Alfa was the manager. Dave, you'll remember a lot of this there was a lot of talk about like, we're going to play attacking soccer. We're going to be exciting. We're going to play attacking soccer. And then we would play a lot of one nil games and a lot of not, you know, not non exciting games. And uh, that was a big thing when, when Peter took the job over, when he, when he had to fire Kurt Alfo and take the job over as the interim head coach at the time, he said, no, we're really actually going to play attacking soccer. And so this was very early in the, in the transition and the switch kind of to, to becoming, the club that Peter Vermees always, you know, thought it would be and, and obviously is now. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was so cool. And I, uh, you know, Davey, man, I, Davey's one of my favorite players that I've, that I've ever worked with. And, and, and Dave, I see you nodding. You're, you're, you're like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Just one of the nicest guys, most genuine people you'll ever meet. And, um, and just to, to have him get to wear the captain's armband and walk out there, and uh and and then get to score in that game was just such a cool moment and uh and you're right Ali he he finished i mean he take it's funny on the on the broadcast they say takes a poor touch or takes a big touch or something like that and then he still finishes it with like just no question. It's such they a. Said, yeah. They said he took a heavy touch. Heavy which touch it was like you can yeah. kind of tell he had a bit of a lead foot moment where the ball definitely went. If you're you know if you're on the getting on the end of that ball, you want to keep it a little bit close. Give yourself at least a second to set yourself up for a nice shot. He didn't really have a lot of time to set himself up for that shot, which is kind of again watching it. What made it such a great goal is that okay, ah, that first touch, not horrible, but not the ideal first touch to set yourself up. But then his ability to put in the back of the net was just flawless. And again, complete momentum, like producer with yeah. that moment. I mean, the goal and then having it be your captain. And then just so early on in the game, it's like, that's something when you are not just feeding off of the energy from the crowd, you're looking around and you're seeing like, yeah, you're playing in front of maybe one of the biggest crowds of your entire career, but a lot of them aren't necessarily for you in that game. So it's kind of this conflicting moment. It's like, I'm on my home field and playing in my hometown, but I don't think the fans are for me, but then it's like this huge moment just to see them own that moment uh, is really cool. And then just a lot of, a lot of fans. Yeah. A lot of fans got on board when we scored. Yeah. Too, yeah. Cause for I know, the that's crowd like... was like 90% red, but there was a lot of cheers when that goal happened. And uh, it was funny. Like, how he got so open like that may have been the closest to a breakaway the wizards had the whole season and it happened against right? manchester united who like by the way went on to win the premier league that yeah. next year what it what a pretty handily title. right like yeah this was not a bad team at all and just looking back through because I, I went back and rewound it last night and i'm like who had that pass and it was kai kamara kai. from like the center circle yeah that's got to be his only assist from that spot on the field <laughs> in his career right are you talking about the Davy Arno? Yeah, Davy's goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was it was Kai and Teal who did like a little one two, and then yeah, Kai plays this like beautiful ball straight through to to Davy. Te- so Teal, Teal Burnbury, Teal Burnbury, right? Oh, That's all the announcers. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! Burnbury. Yeah, turn Burnbury, Teal Burnbury. Burnbury. I, uh, Burnbury. I was Burnbury. so glad to see him subbed out just so the play by play guy would stop screwing it up, and then the color guy kept calling us Kansas, Kansas. starting in the first minute. Yeah, that's that was Warren Barton, right? Warren Barton was the color announcer. Mark Rogandino, I love Mark. I think Mark Rogandino is a good broadcaster, and he's done he's done a lot of MLS and a lot of soccer in America for a long time. But the names were he was he was poor on the names. But he got he he gets Teal Burnbury wrong, Teal Bunbury wrong the whole match. He gets Sunil Chetri right, which is like there's here's what yeah here's what happens though. They spend their entire week of prep focusing on the names that they do not know and just like brushing your teeth, saying that yep. name over and over again. And then you mix up and put an R where it's not and say, yeah. he got Kareti Ayabusi, right? He got Kareti Ayabusi and Sunil Chetri, right? And Teal Bunbury. He prepped yeah. a little too hard yeah. for the hard names and overlooked the easy ones. Yeah. So it was funny. The, uh, the players we saw in the second half of this game were some <laughs> of the go- those guys that you just forget they were ever on the team. Oh, yes. And like, but there's stories with all of them. Like 
Sunil Chetri came here and we thought he was like a marketing coup and that he was going to be this goal scorer that was going to get a whole continent like watching the Wizards and buying jerseys and all this stuff. And obviously he only probably played 40 minutes or something oh. in his career. I mean, oh, he, he had played at all. Dave, he had one appearance as a sub in, a, in an actual, oh. in a regular so I match. give him too much credit. Okay, one appearance as a sub. Yeah, he is, he is the most capped player. And the all-time leading goal scorer for the Indian national team. He's still, at age 35, the captain of the national team. And his nickname is Captain Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, Sunil Chetri, uh, you're right. Everybody thought he was uh, going to be this big coup. He was going to be a... um, I mean, he bagged a ton of goals in India. He was a young guy at the time. uh, What, 24, 25 or something like that. And, um, and, I mean, he, he later, like a year after he left the Wizards... He got signed by Sporting in, in, in Portugal. I mean, like, he was, he's not a, like, people gave him a shot. There was pedigree there. And then, I don't know if you guys saw it, there was an article maybe two weeks ago, a month ago. It happened during during uh, during quarantine, if you will, um, which, I mean, I guess could have meant it happened nine months ago because time is a flat circle now. But he, um, he... <laughs> There was an article where he was quoted as being like, they never gave me a chance in Kansas City. I was behind this big African guy, Kai Kamara, and I just, I was better, but I couldn't break the lineup. And then I went and looked up and Kai had like nine goals and eight assists that year. Kai was fan- in like 20 games because Kai was hurt. And it was just like, no, dude, you didn't break the lineup because they were better than you. And But it's really funny. He like, he complained about his time in Kansas City and then he had the exact same complaints about his time at Sporting Portugal. And it's like, there's a common denominator. I know you're really, really good in, in, in the world that you are a world-class star in, but it never translated out of that. It's like Captain Fantastic might have been a self-proclaimed nickname. Oh my gosh. That's kind of what I'm gathering here from this information. He's got 72 goals and 115 caps for the Indian national team. Like, and he's, you know, I mean, he scored uh, for his last team. He's he's at Mumbai City now, in case you were wondering. But in 2016, he scored 39 goals for Bengaluru. That's insane. Is that right? That can't be right. Maybe it's right. I mean, he's, Apparently just bagged goals everywhere he's been, but just not obviously here. Yeah, that was, uh, it was crazy to see all, and there's still several players that played in this game that are on Sporting KC. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Roger Espinosa, who was playing a left back in this match. Yes, he was. Was at that point where he got the red card Roger nickname. He was so aggressive, so fast, and he looked so young. I mean, he looked like he was 15 years old. He had a monster collision in the 28th minute where he just crushed Nani and they didn't even call a foul. I don't know if you remember this. Nani like crumpled. Espinosa like need him up in the chest or something. I wish I would have uh, thought about it ahead of time. I would have loved to have uh, maybe maybe if it's not too late, I'll try and text him and ask him if he remembers that co- collision and if he's ever talked to Nani about it. Because that would be fun to hear what he and like Nani think about that. Because it is a, it's a big like it's a moment and then nothing happens. Yeah, but the fact I, it wasn't even a foul is crazy. Yeah. Well, especially when you then consider the fact that there was a red card called uh, <laughs> later on in the game. You know, they it's not like there was any hesitation to hand him out. But no, that was that was a monster. That was a statement tackle by Roger Espinosa. <laughs> it's like, I'm not messing around. We're here to play today in Kansas City or in Kansas, wherever Kansas, uh, yes. wherever they thought that they were oh, for the man. game. So Chad, back in back in this time period, you and myself and Kyle Rogers mm-hmm. would get very excited when new players came here, and we yep. would like latch on to these guys that many times never saw any action whatsoever. Yeah. Um, my favorite Kansas City Wizards man crush featured in this game, and I thought had a great game, and was one of the most exciting players in my opinion uh, during this time period. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, are you gonna go with? Were you talking Ryan Smith? That's correct. He's great Ryan in this game. Smith. This is the best game like, I think he ever a played. Amazing dribbling moments. Yeah. Should have had a goal. And like, if he could have just stood up physically and maybe mentally a little bit as well, like his skill was ridiculous. Yeah, he um he yeah. he he absolutely gets the best of Rafael for the sixty-two minutes or whatever that he played in this match. I mean, every minute of it, Ryan Smith is better. It's not even close, and um, 
And then Rafael and Rafael, obviously, like I said earlier, played, you know, 200 some odd matches in the Premier League and is still playing in top flight leagues around the world. And Ryan Smith is out of football. And and um, Ryan Smith, if you remember, I mean, Dave, I'm sure you remember this, but they talk a little bit about it. They say that he was at Arsenal. He was a youth star at Arsenal. Like he, like he was going to be a thing at Arsenal. They sent him off to Leicester to go get appearances as a youngster so he could come back and help the first team and then he just kept getting hurt and things would happen and he would never he just never he just never made it up to Arsenal and that's how he was I think he played with Crystal Palace for a little bit in the Premier League um but he just never kind of caught on and that's how he ended up with 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 the Wizards at the time and this was without a doubt his best game for the Wizards I mean he had some big moments and but like he was great in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a player like again. I didn't know much about just going into watch, you know, rewatching this game, um, and during his time with the Wizards. But like, he should have had a goal for sure. Mm-hmm. Like that man needed to be on the score sheet. He that that chance in the twenty first. Uh, I mean, just right there, and just couldn't find uh, the right spot. But that was the thing. He he seemed to put himself in really good position. He was all over the field. He was you know dominating. Uh, the defense in a couple of big moments. So yeah, really shocking. He didn't score one and two really good showing from him. Again, I didn't see uh, a lot of his other games with the wizards, but so a huge part of that win. Just from watching that he spent the 2010 season. And I think part of the 2011 season, I don't remember if he played a ton in 2011. I know he was around in 11. Um, He spent that time with this team and he had an assist in this game. And as you said, should have had two goals. I mean, he finished, he played nearly every match of the 2010 season. He finished with three goals and six assists, and the ball went through him. I mean, they they built the offense around him. He just never really caught. It just never connected when it mattered. And um, and everybody looked at him and was like, oh my gosh, there's so much skill here. And Warren Barton talks about it when he subs off. Um, and it just, for whatever reason, to Dave's point, it, whether it was physical or it was mental, he was hurt quite a bit. Little little minor injuries that became bigger. Um, yeah. It just never, it just never connected. And uh and you, you see where everybody saw the talent, and it just, for whatever reason, never came together. But, but he was so good in this game. It's I, I had forgotten that he had just – he dominated this yeah. match at times. Yeah. I forgot how fun to watch he was Yeah, why I loved him so much. Like, his skill was off the charts. Uh, the other guy I'd give a shot to for me of the match consideration is the White Puma. Jimmy uh, oh. Nielsen <laughs> was really good in this game. He was. That big save he makes late in the first half. You probably have it written down. I don't remember the minute. The fingertip yeah. went over the bar. Yeah. I'm yeah. Thinking, I was thinking even the one where he shuts down Nani yes. and comes off his line. And I don't know if it was his chest or stomach. I couldn't really tell from the angle. But, like, again, cuts off an angle from, like, a, a huge threat, like, right outside the box and is able to keep that from being a goal, which was, you know, what, just, like, not even 10 minutes after – um, you know, KC had just scored their goal. So that would have been, again, if we're talking momentum shifts in this game, that would have been a huge one. I thought that was a, one of the biggest saves of the game. I think this was the beginning of Jimmy Nielsen really, really endearing himself to the fan base. I think this was, so you got to remember he had, he came in. I know, I know I wax poetic about Jimmy Nielsen. Was it last week or two weeks ago on this show? And I heard some, I heard some flack from people for saying that I thought he was better than, than, than Tony Miola. Um, but he, he came in, he replaced an MLS legend in Kevin Hartman, uh, who had been here for two or three seasons and he was this flame out. I mean, he had gone to Leicester and, and he had been good in, you know, in the Danish league, but everybody was kind of like, but it's the Danish league, you know? And then he came here and I mean, I, I, like people have always just kind of shrugged about the Scandinavian and, and, and like North Northwestern European soccer leagues. It's like, there's good soccer played there. It's just that you don't see a lot of it. And, and it's a different style a lot. Um, and, but that's how everybody reacted. They were like, okay, fine, whatever. He came through, you know, Millwall, he was at Leicester, but he never really played. Um, and then he gets here and everybody's like, I don't know anything about him. And he is so good in this game. And he was so good for the rest of the season on a bad team that, yeah. you know, I mean, it, I think this game in many ways was the beginning of the love affair that Jimmy Nielsen had with Kansas City and Kansas City had with Jimmy Nielsen to the point that, I mean, he lives here now. He moved back to town and it was um, it was very, very, you know, the biggest thing about Jimmy Nielsen going into this point in his career was 
was his casino Jimmy nickname and his history with 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 the with a gambling addiction. That was the story. And then he was going to retire because of all this. And then in a lot of ways, standing up big, having a great first half against uh, Manchester United may have kind of convinced him to stick around for one more year. And then one more year became another year and another year. And and you know now he's now he's an MLS legend in many ways. Yeah, Love and, his uh, story and his legacy. Like, I just think that when you look back on someone who uh, the ups and downs of his career and life and then to, you know, have found a place in Kansas City that really helped him move past from all that and um, was just so beloved by his teammates too. hearing Davey talk yeah. about him. even yeah. Just like he's like, oh, man, Jimmy Nielsen's got some stories. If you've ever got time to sit him down, he'll tell you. <laughs> and, you know, after the win, they all go to O'Dowd's on the plaza uh, and celebrate. I was like. I, Dave, were you at O'Dowd's on the plaza after this game? Was everyone on O'Dowd's? Uh, I don't think I was. It was so hot that day. Oh, God, I it was hot. I went and smelled like garbage, man. I had to go home. Yeah, I lived I lived a block off the plaza at this point. Um, and and O'Dowd's was a O'Dowd's was a party. I mean, it was a it was yeah, it was it was a thing, and it went long into the night. I. It's one of those nights that you're just like, did we close the bar down? Did the bar stay open late for us? I don't remember, but we were there a long, long time. That's funny. I think, you know, I think you could make a case this was the most important friendly (laughs) in the history of American soccer, right? I mean, like what this meant for our organization. I mean, most of the times, you know, you win, you lose, you move on. This was kind of like the uh you know the organization making an announcement like hey we're here we're a real deal it was just crazy how important this was as a friendly i i look back at it now as as a a jumping off point i i don't think one of those things that at the time you you know it's amazing but you don't really realize that it's it's things are changing in that moment. You know what I mean? It was like, it felt cool and it felt awesome, but that this, this match in so many ways, um, felt like it was the beginning of now looking back at it, it was the beginning of something. It was, it was Dave, you're you're right. It was an announcement of intent or a statement of intent. We're going to be getting the game in the first place was a statement Mm -hmm. of intent. Um, we're going to be a real player in the U S soccer world. I know everybody laughed at us as the whiz, I know everybody thought it was it was ridiculous that we got put up for sale and barely got saved by the skin of our teeth. I know everybody likes our new ownership group, but they haven't really done anything yet in the first four years. You know, we they've they've started a stadium here and it kind of fell apart because the economy tanked. They've started another stadium and that's really nice. We think it'll be cool, but prove it. You know, everybody was kind of like in wait and see mode about about the wizards, about the ownership group, about everything. And this was a statement of intent in so many ways, especially looking back at it now. I loved what, and Peter Vermees called it the watershed moment. Mm -hmm. And it really, to me, legitimized everything that then came after that game. And not that the game was the thing that like sparked it or created the snowball effect, but you talk about, you know, the new stadium, then the rebrand. And really like a lot of people either became fans watching that game um, maybe heard of Kansas City and what their soccer team was doing and kind of perked their ears up like, hey, we might check this out. And I just think that whether it created fans or, you know, made it seem like a more serious, legit thing to people who maybe weren't soccer fans, I think it just really legitimized all the efforts that would then soon to, you know, would be soon to come in the coming years and months. And then now, like, what a great way to spark off right. uh, such a great regime regime under Peter Vermees as well with the head coach, you know, like the fact that it's been a decade now since that, that, you know, game and that moment, uh, it's just really cool to look back and see all that's um, been achieved since then. Well, it's, it, you talk about kind of like the, the, the legitimization of it all in so many ways it was because Ali, this is obviously before you lived in town, but you couldn't buy tickets. We, we set this up. We were very smart with how we set this up on ticketing. You couldn't buy tickets to this match at first, at the very beginning, unless you bought season tickets for the next year. And Dave, do you remember the day we announced this match went on sale and it got like all of the, I mean, you were integral in it, all the earned media, the news stations and everybody coming to, mm-hmm. to interview the salespeople and, and uh, your, your friend and mine, one of my, one of my favorite people who's ever worked for this organization is a salesman by the name of Cameron Smith. And Cam being listed on the broadcast on on whatever local news station came as happy salesperson. 
because and it was because we'd announced <laughs> do you remember that the chiron yeah, yeah. said happy salesperson or the happy salesman or something like that and it was because he had he was talking about how many season tickets we had sold that day and it was so funny um and it was just no because and that season ticket base selling this match set the table for 2011 when we opened the stadium and helped keep that building way more full than it ever had been as as Community America Ballpark and 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 winning the match in so many ways pre-legitimized the rebrand and in a lot of really weird ways it was kind of like well they beat Man U maybe they can do anything you know maybe 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 the stadium will be cool maybe maybe they will make soccer a thing in this in this city they were like it's it's a really funny like look back now at how different are things if we lose this match? And I don't, I, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but like, maybe they are, you know? So this, it's funny, I'll, the second yeah. half of this game was not nearly as exciting as the first <laughs> half, right? It was pretty, pretty slow second half. Yeah. But uh, I'll never forget going down on the field around the 85th minute to like help coordinate post-game interviews and stuff. And if, during my three years with the Wizards and then becoming Sporting KC, that was by far the most nervous I ever have been. Was sitting there waiting for that game to end. Yeah. Manchester United had the ball down in the Wizards box several times. And you're just sitting there thinking like, holy crap, this is about to happen. And we can't lose at this point. Or well, tie even would have felt like a loss. The last play that of the game. So, so nervous. Unbelievable. Danny Welbeck yeah. running at goal. Ball at his feet. Last play at the game. And then Shavar Thomas steps up and, 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 and clears it away. But it's just like, Danny Welbeck has, has scored that goal. Like, Danny Welbeck has beaten the first guy. And then, and then put that into the back post quite a few times in his career. And Shavar Thomas just immediately you know and then terry von blows the whistle I w- i'm with you dave i remember distinctly the end of that game just kind of being like oh we did this like it was it, it's here now but we did it holy cow and shavar oh. thomas at that point he was at the end of the road yeah like that wasn't shavar thomas in his prime but he had a good game he was he was quite good yeah no i just again to and I feel like I keep bringing up Davey Arno, but it was so cool getting to talk to him about this game and like hearing from his perspective, reflecting on everything that went down. And especially, you know, when you talk about the red card, but we also talked about, you know, not just winning the game, but it's how they won the game. They won the game being down a man the entire second half. And the fact that, you know, you beat Man U, that's one thing, cool, but you beat them and you are down a man playing, you know, in the summer in Kansas City. Like, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, and I thought it was interesting, too. You know, I, I asked him, I go, after that moment, though, I go, what was the mindset of the team? Because that's something that totally takes the wind out of your sails. Like, you're up one nothing, and on your home field against a team is going to be, if you can beat them, it's really cool. You are 100% the underdog in this game. And then to have something like that happen, they uh. get the PK, they score the PK. He said if Kai Kamara hadn't turned around and hadn't scored that second goal to put them back ahead, he goes, I really think that that game would have ended up being a 4-1 game. He said he felt like it would have kind of opened the gates for them to score a few more. So it just really goes to show, like, again, this is a team that had already kind of struggled, wasn't having a a super successful season. So to be that goal-scoring attack team that Peter Ramiz envisioned in a game where it probably matters the most – uh, and to use that to, you know, get the win is just really cool. So the one big play we haven't talked about yet is the red card. Uh, 39th minute, Jimmy Conrad takes out Berbatov in the box. Um, it's funny, Jimmy Nielsen was great against penalty kicks, and Berbatov just made him look silly on that one. But uh, <laughs> right. how how much crap is that that the referee gives out a red card in a friend? Dude, Terry Vaughn, man, like what a what a – I, so, so you guys know this. We 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 talked with Jimmy Conrad all week, and Jimmy was going to join us uh, for a little bit on the show, which would have been really cool to talk about some of this. Uh, it's it's his daughter's birthday. Happy birthday! So that's you I mean family first. We understand Jimmy, but um, but I mean to this day, Jimmy tweets about like how that was a clean tackle and how he never, even if it wasn't a clean tackle, who gives a red card and a friendly and and um. Oh my gosh! Like what are you doing? Just give the yellow card and give the penalty kick, and nobody cares. Especially because you're Terry Vaughn, you know this league, it's Jimmy Conrad, you know what this game means to him, you know what it means to the fans in this city to have Jimmy Conrad, who was a, who was a legitimate 
you know, sports star in this city at the time. Uh, he, had a, he had a radio show. He had a weekly show on 810. He had, you know, I mean, like, he, people knew who Jimmy Conrad was. You don't you don't give that red card right there in a friendly. Yeah, if it's a cup final, give the red card. But, like, it was just such a silly, so weird to me that it happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that was, again, the other thing that we talked about like, in that moment. Because Davey's one of the first people to, get, you know, go up to Terry. Yeah. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Davey's what the captain. Like, yeah. What? Yeah, he's like, what are you know, what's going on right now? And, you know, maybe this is, you know, just an example of, hey, Terry's like, I'm doing my job. I get, you know, graded basically based on, you know, what calls I make in the, you know, in these situations, um, whatever. But yeah, to your point, give him the yellow, give him the PK and like, let's move on. The fact that, you know, he was ejected from the games just, but again, it helps reinforce the legitimacy of Kansas city in that game and kind of makes the storyline a bit sweeter, you know, looking back on it to have that be an element. Hey Chad, did you ever hear my Nani story from this game? I don't think so. I'm, I'm interested though. I'm, I'm, I'm already intrigued. Okay. So you said this earlier. So, you know, the wizards were trying to be this attacking team, right? And especially when Peter took over four, three, three attacking. I mean, you saw some of the pieces out there, Burnberry, uh, Kai Kamara. <laughs> Ryan Smith. I mean, that was a pretty fun front line. Oh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, my one job after the game as PR manager was I was told to get Nani to say that we play like Barcelona. I, I remember was, this. This was a quote I was mandated to get. Like, <laughs> it was from the ownership group to Robo to me. And I had to go interview him after the game. And, you know, he was ticked because oh, they yeah. lost and it was a million degrees. And, like, I went up to him and said something like, hey, you know, the Wizards play this 4-3-3 formation. They're trying to, you know, play style like Barcelona. They did a good job today possessing the ball, whatever. I'm like, do you see a little bit of Barcelona in the team? And he was like, you know, didn't bite on it at all. <laughs> and then I asked him again, and he sort of said something like they played good. And then I'm pretty sure Robo put a quote afterwards that said like, this team reminded me of Barcelona, and it said like Nani, you know, and that was like the quote that is somewhere out there. He said in the quote it. Sheet. No, he said it. I, yeah, yeah. I, he said it. Right. He he definitely said it. There's no doubt in my mind. He said it, Dave. Oh, uh, that was a brutal project. <laughs> trying okay, to put words well, in his mouth. Now that if we're still kind of talking about the red card, I found an article from 2010 on ESPN about this game, and Ooh. Jimmy Conrad has some comments in here. So I love here's it. kind of what he said. I love it. I love this because if you watch it, you know that what he's saying does not match up with what you are seeing on your screens. I'm sorry, Jimmy, but that's just <laughs> the facts here. He goes, I know I ended up with every piece of the ball, Conrad said. I know I had to go through him a little bit. I tried to sweep it, but I'd have to see it on replay before I could say with 100% certainty. So this is either like right after the game or maybe a few days after. Uh, okay. um, but yeah, no, I, and you know, a couple of great quotes too from Ryan Giggs and from Sir Alex just about the team and the game and, and really just, you know, noting that this is a, sh this is proof that soccer in America is on the rise. I mean, that's something that a game that other teams across the world saw as, you know, something that again, to go back to that point of legitimizing soccer in Kansas city, legitimizing soccer in America, it was a huge moment, not just for the wizards, but for major league soccer as well. So I'm reading an ESPN recap right now. I saw this yesterday. Um, Jimmy Conrad quoted after the game in the ESPN article, MLS owns the city of Manchester right now. That's true. I actually left that. God, I wish I would have gotten him on record saying that that's still true. I mean. Hey, Peter Vermees still has one over Sir Alex. I mean, that's something that not a lot of players or coaches can say in their careers. So that's awesome. Undefeated head-to-head. Undefeated. -head. <laughs> Undefeated so head to head with Sir Alex Ferguson. So this, was, this was the first event at Arrowhead yeah. after a $375 million renovation, which I had forgotten that as well. Well, and, and after is a bit of a misnomer too. If you remember, Dave, it wasn't done. Like there was, they were still, During, yeah, yeah, they were still very much in, 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 in construction. And I don't remember if they were behind schedule or if it's just like this came on and we knew that the game had to be played and nobody could turn it down. And, and Clark Hunt was a, a, a a massive part of making this match happen. Um, and, and I think he's quoted in some of the articles too. Um, or if he's not, he should be Clark Hunt was a massive part of making this match happen. It was, uh, it was, it doesn't happen without the chiefs. It doesn't happen without Clark Hunt and it. And especially during the middle of this renovation, as they kind of turned arrowhead into the new arrowhead was, was they, they had to move heaven and earth in a lot of ways to make this game come off. And, uh, 
and man, again, like what, what, what is soccer in this city if this game doesn't happen? You know, it's, it's, it was game changing. It's also so important, I think, too, looking at the influence that Clark Hunt has being the owner of the, you know, of the Kansas City Chiefs, but to have such a vested interest in the game of soccer and where it goes. I mean, you couldn't name a better person to one already have such great influence and probably the biggest sport in the city. And you could honestly argue even at this point, like in the Midwest, the Kansas City Chiefs would probably uh, be at least in the top, you know, two for that for that argument. But the fact that he's as invested in soccer and, you know, you look at the legacy with his dad and just how much that they've put their lives and not just financially, but just like their heart and soul into advancing the game. I mean, again, soccer in Kansas city is where it is today because of the efforts that he's made. I mean, you look at other places, hello, St. Louis girl here and how far behind St. Louis is when really St. Louis has also been a city in the, you know, a Midwestern city where soccer has been a huge game, but you just need that person to really be a champion for it. And that's what Clark Hunt is and always has been. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 I mean, obviously he played college soccer and he's a soccer guy, but you you almost get the impression that that's not the why. The why is because his dad said, Kansas City needs this. And, you know, Cliff and Neil would always tell the story early on in the, in the, after buying the team about, and, and to this day, I actually heard Cliff tell it maybe six months ago, um, about when Lamar Hunt took them to dinner, when he had the team up for sale and they were talking about buying it and he took them for, to dinner and he was essentially trying to convince them to buy this club, you know, and 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 they were at was it Capitol Grill? They they went to dinner and Clark, excuse me, Lamar said to Cliff and Neil, "Kansas City needs a soccer team. You guys need to buy this soccer team from me and keep it here in Kansas City because if we lose this soccer team, we lose our status as a major league city." And that was like that was a big thing. I have goosebumps. It was such a cool like like Cliff talks about that so reverently that that that's that's why Lamar said he said it's not financially feasible for me to keep this team here anymore but somebody needs to I want it to be you guys because if Kansas City loses this team we risk losing our status as a major league city and that's cool that's it's amazing and so there's there's a sense of civic duty there's a sense of of the right thing to do for a city that has given so much to you. And I think you see a lot of that with Clark Hunt in this, especially in this moment, the The easy thing to do is to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't play a soccer game in our, in our, you know, stadium while we're in the middle of a $400 million renovation. But the right thing to do is we'll figure it out. We'll get you in there. Um, and we'll, we'll go ahead and play games. You know, I mean, that's, that's the big, yeah. big credit to Clark Hunt and the, the Hunt family and, and the entire chiefs organization for letting this, this match even happen. And, and honestly, I mean, thinking back for being super helpful, I mean, they were, they were, they, they, they clearly said, Hey, this is your guys's thing, but we're here to help and, and get you, you know, get you started, get you across the finish line. You got to remember some of the little things that happened during this game. You'd never think about, we're playing at Community America Ballpark. Our, our video board is the size of, you know, like the TV in your living room right now. It was tiny and, and, and we didn't, we didn't run a video board show. We didn't, you know, we ran highlights or we ran replays on it, but there weren't graphics. There weren't, you know, starting lineups and crazy stuff like that. Um, the guys at the Chiefs were super helpful in being like, yeah, we'll teach you motion graphics so that you guys can put on a show that feels like it belongs in our stadium. And, you know, like that's, again, huge credit to the Chiefs organization um, for helping quite literally what was basically a minor league sports team in this market at the time put on a major league big time event that, you know, as Peter has later said, became a watershed moment and and led to so, in so many ways. That's, you know, big, like it doesn't happen if all of those things don't come together. It's really cool. It's hard to believe a friendly could be as impactful as this. I one know. Was. Well, I saw so, what this is maybe one of the five biggest wins in franchise history. It's oh, crazy. Yeah, shockingly so, but yes, yeah, like you, you wouldn't think so. And I, so I got, I got, a, I have two more really funny stories that will always stick with me about this match. And the first one is, uh, is is a is a really quick one because I, I distinctly remember standing at standing down on the field next to Rob Heineman, one of the owners and Greg Cotton, who was the, uh, the, the COO or chief of staff at the time. And Greg and Rob were obviously so instrumental in, in, in the purchasing of the team. And then, and then what later became the rebrand. And I got a story about that in a second, but Rob were standing there and it's me and Greg and Rob and maybe David Ficklin, 
uh, Borchard was there with us, and then it, maybe Robo would have been there. A bunch, a handful of us who were who were who were longtime Wizards folks, like we'd all been there from the day that they bought the club, kind of thing, and we were all kind of having a moment together in the middle of the match. And Heineman looks at us and he goes, "What do you guys think of Livestrong?" And we're all just kind of like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I've been thinking. I want to talk to Livestrong about maybe putting their naming rights on the stadium, and like, we'll donate the naming rights to a charity." And we're all just kind of like are you insane? You can't donate the naming rights to a charity. And then, you know, what, nine, six months later, we donate the naming rights to a charity. And obviously that story doesn't have like the happy ending. Everybody kind of wanted it to, but it was, it's still to me, one of the coolest, most like, like unique and, and just inventive ideas. And, and quite frankly, no fault of, of anybody on the, the sporting or wizard side that that didn't go the way it should have. Like, if, if, if not for Lance Armstrong doing what he did or having done what he did, like that ends up being just a, one of those types of things that nobody's ever done. Oh yeah. And then three years later, Barcelona puts UNICEF on their Jersey. And I don't think you can like you, you don't, you can draw a direct line from that conversation at Arrowhead stadium, Rob Heineman going, what do you guys think of Livestrong to Barcelona donating the front of their jersey to UNICEF because those types of things didn't happen in sports up until that point. And so that's well, a- I think we talked about this last week. Like at that time, being part of the team felt like being part of a startup. Mm-hmm. It was like any idea you have, it's a good idea or it's worth considering. I still tell people that that's the coolest part is is that 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 we the ethos of this club is built on why not. It's not built on why would we do this. It's built on why not. And when it's clicking on all cylinders, that's that's the that's such a great starting point. You know. So, yeah, I, I will never forget that moment because it's just kind of it, it's like just burned into my brain as like a, what the hell are you talking about? And then like to see it come to fruition in a really, really cool, yeah. weird way. And then again, obviously it didn't end the way we all hoped, but like still a cool story that, oh yeah, first first sports team on the planet to be like, we're going to donate it. Part of the proceeds are from every ticket sold are going to go to a good cause. We're going to, and, and without that, we don't have the victory project that we have today. We don't have the victory honoree, you know, I mean like. All of those things kind of have, have continued to lead to really, really good things. But it's yeah, it's so funny that 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 conversation happened that day and and kicked off, you know, a really kind of cool chapter in sports in a in like a philanthropic way. So yeah, it just goes to show like how much you can reap the benefits of just bringing in the right people at the right time, and you know how long their influence will last um in in so many different ways like i think that's really cool and i think that the history of the club is really really fascinating because it's a perfect example of one a franchise and an organization that's done it right even among you know amidst difficulty adversity and whatnot you know they've always seemed to find a way to grow or build upon things that may have been seen as challenges and turn them into opportunities. So I just think it's so neat to see, you know, the different parts of history and getting to relive all of that through these games is so much fun, especially for me. You know, I literally, I love this club so much. Like I've become so like, this was the first KC sports team that I like went to an actual game at and, you know, and first team I started covering in Kansas city. So for me, it's really cool to look back and like Mark Santel, I don't know if you guys remember oh, that yeah. game with the wizards. He oh, was yeah. my, like my first select soccer coach. So That's it's like, funny. I have all these like random little ties and it's just, it's fun. I, you know, you, you mentioned the opportunity and, and like there was, there was a, there was a missed opportunity. And this is my second, like crazy, crazy fun story about this match. Um, when it happened, when it got confirmed and, and, you know, a month or weeks before we announced or whatever that the game was going to happen, we're, we're knee deep in rebrand at this point. In fact, we're neck deep in rebrand. I mean, we've been working on the rebrand since quite literally June of 2005 before they bought the club, but then really in, in full-time fashion since the club was purchased in, in August of 06. And so now we're in July of 2010. We've known all along we're going to announce a rebrand to coincide with the new stadium and, and moving in and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, and there was a moment where it was kind of a, hey, are we close enough that we could play this game as sporting? And that conversation actually happened. I don't, I've never told this story, and I don't know that this story has actually ever been told by, by Heinemann or, or, or Robo or anybody else, but it was there was a serious conversation. Dave, do you remember this? Mm-hmm. That, that was like there was a serious conversation of do we not tell anybody we're rebranding and do we walk out that day as sporting kansas city and what happens if we do it like how do people react 
Does it catch? Are people more confused than anything else? I mean, we ran through all the kind of permutations in our head, um, yeah. and and discussed and debated and 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 it was like a it was one of those like everybody go home and sleep on it for twenty four hours, everybody go home and sleep on it again for another twenty four hours kind of thing. And you know, I mean, I think it lasted maybe a week or two, and and ultimately it ended up not happening because we couldn't get the jerseys in. Like that was the thing that ultimately made the decision wow. for us in a lot of ways. It's like, I don't know if we still would have done it, but like talking to the league, talking to Adidas, all those conversations happened. And ultimately the thing that was like the, okay, well that makes it easy to make the decision not to do it was we couldn't wear the jerseys that we would wear the next year. You know, we didn't yeah. want to do it half-assed. We didn't want to do it in, in like mock-ups or something like that. We wanted to roll out in the actual kits for the next season. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, there was a, there was a conversation about it. Um, it was, do we, do we play this match? Is this the inaugural sporting Kansas city match? And then if we do that, do we finish the season as sporting or do we play the rest of the season as the wizards? And, and you know, there were, there were a million different issues with any direction we went, but yeah, it was a conversation that happened and, and kind of fun to think back about like, what if would have been a really yeah. interesting thing to do? Cause we finally announced it in November, November 10th. So we got another five months away or something like it that. It would have, it would have been cool though. Like, because I also always, when I watch back like these games, even though like 2010 doesn't seem like it's that long ago, you have to think about like what social media was as well. Right. So it's really hard right. to get things like going, you know, say they just walk out on the field, but you don't have any sort of like social element that can go with it. It's like, to your point, are people going to be confused? How do we get this to stick? Like, is it, how do we make sure that we eliminate any of that confusion and like social media is help of launches of things or like hey guess what new campaign and this will help kind of clarify what it is well, but guys I, like that's yeah guys like dave uh, kyle rogers who we referenced earlier and i were like yeah we'll figure it out we got we're good on social media we got social media figured out and you know in 2010 whatever the heck that meant no it was a real conversation yeah, back then, yeah social media was rob heineman taking a keg of beer to the cauldron tailgate <laughs> and tell them what the news was yeah, that's... although shoot, I mean, with that TV broadcast, that would have been a great way to get the new brand out there. I know, and that well, once we knew it was on Fox too, that was the you know that was the other thing. Yeah, no, it was a it was a conversation, and and what so actually maybe even like the funniest part about that was the conversation was what why don't we just walk out wearing the kits and not tell anybody, and then you know so people are like all shocked and 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 we create some buzz that way. Fast forward to April May of 2013. And that's how we unveiled the Black Argyle kit the first time. We literally recycled that idea that we never got to do. It kind of came back up. It was like, you know what? Let's not tell anybody we have a third kit. Let's just walk out wearing it and see what see how people react. And uh, and you know, so like, not all ideas go to waste. Some of them just go into kind of the, the the drawer until you can pull them back out. But that was that's just always been one of my favorite memories of that that match was like the serious conversation of is that how we launch Sporting Kansas City? Do we want to make a splash that way? Um, it would have been funny. It's, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. No, it really would have. And, and again, when you go back to like the whole, would that game have, would it have meant more if they were sporting at the time? Like if you're looking at like uh, a moment where it's no longer like the, like the wizards era and then the sporting era, like that game was almost like drawing like the fine line between it just cause it was so close to the region. But you mentioned the fine line. That's the funny. I, I, so I, the, to me, as somebody who lived it, it feels like the beginning of the sporting era more than mm-hmm. the rebrand announcement itself, more than the stadium opening. And I, I just ran the math. So beginning of that season, Wizards start the season 4-8-4, and four, 16 points in 16 matches. So one point a game, right? Mm-hmm. Missed the playoffs, finished third in the East at the time. Uh, missed the playoffs. Uh, yeah, we were in the East because, you know, MLS. Um Finished third in the East, missed the playoffs because they used to wait it. Uh, the top two teams in each conference got in, and then like the next six best or four best or whatever. Um, but the, the rest ever changing MLS yeah, playoff it's, format. It's the MLS playoffs. The goalposts have to move. Um, the the rest of the season though, fourteen matches the rest of the way, seven five and two, twenty three points or tw- so so one point six something points per game the rest of the way versus one point of the game after that. So in in a lot of ways, it did kind of you know, start something for this club uh, that led obviously into the 2011 season and, and go on to be the Western conference champions in 2011, start winning cups in 2012 with the open cup. And that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it, it was maybe the big, the big win that, that jump started the winning on the field 
as well as off. It's 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 such a pivotal game in so many different ways. Like you said, it feels like the first big win for the new ownership group, even though they'd been around a few years. I guess getting the game was the first big win, but then winning that game, it was like, oh my gosh. And then it just yeah. kept going. Great new brand, great new stadium. Once the stadium opened, the team won almost every game yeah. the rest of the season at home. And then just made the playoffs every single year until last year. So well, and the uh, fan base seemed like the start of greatness. It created a fan base in so many ways. You know, I kind of mentioned earlier that it was everybody was like, "Oh, if they can beat Man U, they can do anything." But like, I think the fans felt a little bit of that, and and at least in my memory, and I don't, you can't hear it as much on the broadcast as I'd hope. But at least in my memory, that game started with people doing Manchester United chants if they knew them. And it ended with them chanting USA or Wizard, you know, and it like, like the fans, you felt them shift. I've, I've talked to Kai Kamara. It was like Rocky Ford. You remember Rocky Ford? It's Four? exactly like Rocky Ford. Russia, and now they're all cheering for him. And there was a huge, it was a standing ovation when the final whistle. Yeah. Was, the whole crowd had gotten on board with the Wizards. Yeah, it was, it, it really did feel like that. It was, it was, um, I've talked to Kai Kamara about this game a couple of times over, over the years. And he said the same thing. He just remembers like, he remembers everybody wearing red. And, mm-hmm. and by the end of the game, he remembers everybody cheering for the Wizards. And like it, that's that's very close to what my memory was, too, where it was like it was really cool. To your, to your point, Dave, the second half is not good. I mean, it's not a fun second half to watch no. other than like the, the kind of the white knuckle can they hang on. Um, but but I do remember almost like the uh, like the slow burn USA chance because of it and the slow burn. It, you know, you know how like uh, in the Mighty Ducks where everybody starts quacking. Like the slow quack at first, that's kind of how it felt. It's like, oh, they're on board now, and it slowly happened. And yeah, there's a little bit of that to that match where the, where I don't think if there's a bunch of goals or a bunch of crazy things that happen in the second half, you get like the USA chant that that will be forever kind of burned into my memory. See, this game reminded me more of Hoosiers, but it sounds like you got the Mighty Ducks as your reference. I think it's an era thing, Dave. I think it's a, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean it. It was. It was a. Uh, it it felt like the little kid that could in a lot of ways. You know. It was fun. It was. I will never. I will never like forget so many different things about that match and that moment and that era. I got to and pick up Joe's KC and bring it to the press conference. I remember that. Oh, that you were you were on the Joe's. United. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait. Okay, they talked, Davey talked about that in our interview. He was like, I want to say, like, Sir Alex, Sir Alex, or like, he was talking about like some of the players. He's like, I want to say they had barbecue in front of them. So mm-hmm. I guess yeah. that all adds up. We found out who, uh, that that was an actual thing. Dave, do you remember how tall Edwin Vandersar was compared to literally every other normal human being? He, yeah. Allie, Edwin Vandersar was their goalkeeper at the time. And I think he's listed at uh-huh. six foot seven, but he's, He's like the lankiest, longest six foot seven on the planet. Like he, he towers over NBA player. I mean, he towered over Brandon Rush, who I think is six foot eight. Um, he towers over NBA players in terms of like just he's so long and lanky. And uh, I'll never forget the the press scrum at the press conference where every every reporter in Kansas City who has never covered a basketball team because we don't have an NBA team like that to do that that kind of a crazy press scrum is like microphone way up in the air trying to talk to, and like chin tilted because Edwin Vandersar is so tall and he was standing on a riser and like for whatever reason there was a riser for the yeah you would have not been I would have had to be on someone's shoulders get me a ladder it was a, a step stool I've used a step stool in broadcast before so. <laughs> it's like how many apple boxes do we have in the room that we can bring in because you know it was so funny I'll never like that just he he was so tall and everybody was like holy cow how do we interview this dude and he was also really he didn't play in the match but he was really really nice and yeah. um yeah and yeah no it was it was really cool to kind of see some of those guys i we've talked in the past you know we've all worked in sports long enough we don't get we don't get starstruck by sports and i i don't get i don't i remember not being starstruck by this whole thing i remember being more in awe of the way that they carried themselves and it just it was everything was top class and professional and quite frankly i think it elevated our game i think it brought the we knew we had to treat them top class and professional hence the motorcade hence the locked off intercontinental hence all the you know uh, hence dave driving to joe's and bringing them the best barbecue on the planet you know those kinds of things were like but it was important that this was this was not just this was not just any other club coming to town and we're not going to treat them like just any other club and 
I think that has set a bar for the way that the club interacts with clubs to this day. It means something. Well, it's hard to even do. It's hard to even do any other friendlies at this point because nothing will ever compare to that. I mean, yeah. Man City was awesome when they came in. Yeah. Like, three or four years after that, it was unbelievable. But it was about a third as big as this, and that was Man City, right? Like yeah. that's just as. Big and they were coming off. Of, they were coming off of a uh, a Premier League title also. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Oh, did we lose Allie? We might have lost Allie. No, she's sleeping. I think she does. If you're she's, watching the video, Allie took a nap. Uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast after the fact, uh, we apologize. We're having some technical difficulties. Looks like we've lost Allie, but um, that seems like a good time to wrap up. Yeah, I'm good. Dave, this was fun. I, I, I mean, can you believe for guys like you and me, this was ten years ago? No, it seems like yesterday, and out of. You know, I worked for sporting for about three and a half years, and this was by far the the game and the moment I have the most stories from. I mean, it was an unbelievable couple of days. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, I will I, again never I will never forget it. And reliving this one has maybe been maybe been as much fun as as reliving the the matches from like my childhood, which I didn't. You know, I didn't. I don't think I expected this one to be as as much fun to watch and relive and just go, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Hey, shout out Eric Kronberg, five saves in the second half. Eric Kromberg, yeah. clean sheet. Jimmy Nielsen didn't get a clean sheet in his half in this game. It's true. That's my own. That was Very my true. only other note was to shout out Eric Kromberg for his clean sheet and uh, and uh, Kredi Ayabusi. It was cool to see Kay again. This guy who I I occasionally will see pop up on Facebook and shoot a note to. But you know some of these guys yeah, that you, you don't guy. think about, you haven't thought about in in a decade, and, and sometimes it's cool to see again. Well, Chad, good seeing you, my friend. It's glad we can uh, can keep this streak going of Sporting KC undefeated on Thursday night, SKC Classics. Cross your fingers. We'll see if we can do it again next week. <laughs> we'll give it a shot. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. For Allie and Chad, I'm Dave Borchard saying so long. You've been watching and listening to the Final Whistle postgame show. Thanks, guys.